were expecting that bloodbath to just kind of go on uh, indefinitely, but it just kind of stopped. Hi, I'm Daphne Howland. And I'm Ben Unglesby. We're senior reporters with Retail Dive, and this is our podcast where we break down the biggest industry news and trends. And talk about some of the things that don't always make it into our stories. This is The Backroom. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Backroom. Today, we're talking about bankruptcies, which for a while there was pretty quiet territory. I'm here with Ben Unglesby, my colleague at Retail Dive, and he just published an extensive story on almost 20 retailers that are sort of on the brink. So Ben, this has been kind of a roller coaster. This year, 2022, has been pretty quiet, but before that, it was really nutty. Could you kind of talk about the bankruptcy landscape when it comes to retail? It absolutely has been a roller coaster. The last two years, I would say, have been very quiet. Things even quieted down, I would say, probably starting in the fall of 2020, which until the slowdown started late in the year, we saw sort of peak bankruptcies. But I started here in 2017. Every year since I started, we've had we've seen a pretty high level of bankruptcies, especially in 2017. You know, we do and we've done the watch list every year since uh, since I've started. We went into 2020 with a lot of retailers that had sort of high risk levels. You know, these are these are companies that usually, but not always, have a lot of debt. A lot of times that, but also not always that that debt comes from leveraged buyouts by private equity acquisitions. We went into 2020 with upwards of 30 companies on our watch list, 30 retailers on our watch list. That that was from the watch list we published in. October 2019. So there's already a lot of risk out there. Uh, once in a <laughs> once in a century pandemic hits, just about every major retailer closes its stores except for the you know those who have groceries and, and other essential items. But you have a lot of mall retailers that are already struggling, just closed for weeks at a time, reopen and traffic's down, and then everybody files. Everyone filed in the summer of 2020. I mean, there are weeks when I had to write up like two or three bankruptcies sometimes. Everyone you mean from your watch list or quite a few from your watch list? A lot, a lot on our watch list filed. A lot that weren't on our watch list filed because the the watch list, and, and we can get into this, but the watch list doesn't always capture you know all, all the risk out there for different reasons. It was just, when I say everyone, it was just a lot of people filed. And we were expecting that bloodbath to just kind of go on uh, indefinitely, but it just kind of stopped. And things got really slow in the, the last few months of 2020. And then they stayed really slow through 2021. And then that's continued even through 2022. And I think, I think pretty much everyone knows, you know, last year was a huge, I mean, it was a huge rebound year for for retailers. I mean, consumers had a lot of cash. Employment came roaring back after the really scary drop-offs in 2020. People were feeling pretty good. They had stimulus money. They were redecorating their houses or buying new houses. They were refreshing their wardrobes. (laughs) It was just a good time for the industry. And the capital markets were hot. If you needed to refinance, you could pretty easily find 
new loans or or make new deals with your existing lenders and there's just a lot of cash out there and the stock market was hot and it was just and we, we even saw companies that had gone bankrupt in the past file for ipo it was just it was just a good year all around for for retail both in their both in terms of their sales and in terms of um, financial things that they could do to to bring in cash and and ease any financial troubles they might ha- have uh, and that may have papered over some of the the weaknesses out there in the market i mean everyone kind of looks good when sales are really high and you know way higher than the year before and in the latter half of the year, you, we had the, a lot of the supply chain struggles, which we speculated and a lot of people speculated that could lead to more bankruptcies this year, which kind of happened, but not really. We, and we can talk about that a little bit with like Revlon and Olympia. But for the most part, the, the supply chain struggles did not create major financial turmoil for, for most companies or at least large retailers. But the, the upshot is there was a there wasn't a whole lot of inventory to go around. So there were way less markdowns than in the past and much higher margins, even for those retailers that in normal times might not have been operating as hotly as others. I feel like you could detect the optimism in a lot of the earnings calls because this scenario was spilling over into the beginning of 2022. Early this year, I think there was still a sense of consumers still have some money. And even though inflation was a story in late 2021, it seemed possibly temporary, limited. And 2022 has turned out to be, you know, kind of a different story. But before we actually talk about that, let's back up a second. You talked to Credit Risk Monitor when you put together a lot of these tables could you talk about that methodology and the first scores that you talk about? Yeah. So we've put together this watch list every year that I've worked here. So starting in 2017, we've done at least one, one watch list per year, uh, sometimes two. Starting in 2018, we started using data from Credit Risk Monitor. The nice thing about it for us is it specifically tries to predict the probability that a company will file for, for bankruptcy. We'll also include credit ratings, uh, which we think are important indicators too, and, and based on on pretty deep analysis. And credit ratings can also capture some things that that the Frisk scores don't, because the Frisk scores only apply to companies that have publicly traded stock or debt. <clears throat> There's a lot of companies that 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 fall outside of that umbrella. But a Moody's rating or an S and P rating, it's an indicator of default probability, which can be a bankruptcy, but can also be a lot of other things. The Frisk scores are geared towards the likelihood that a company will file for bankruptcy within the next 12 months. And it's based on a few things, including stock volatility, which, you know, there's there's a lot of debate about how how great of an indicator that is. But there is a track record of stock volatility predicting bankruptcy. Along with that, they, they track certain financial ratios. And also they use data from their own platform. I mean, they've been around for a couple of decades. And so they've sort of looked at how their own internal data and users on their platform can be predictive of a, of a bankruptcy filing. Because a lot of the people who use Credit Risk Monitor are the credit managers for, for suppliers to, to various companies. And they can kind of see hot spots if certain groups of people start checking on 
certain companies. And obviously, I'm not privy to all the ins and outs of their their algorithms and whatnot. But but I know that is also one of the inputs in, into their Frisk scores. So we put together our list based on their two sort of the, the Frisk scores run one to 10, 10 being the lowest chance of bankruptcy, one being the highest chance, something like a 10 to 50% chance, and the two score, which is like a four to 10% chance that someone would, based on the first score that, that a company might file for, for bankruptcy. You know, even with all that, and, and, you know, I think it was our 2020 watch list, we tracked those had been on our watch lists in the past and that hadn't actually filed. And there's been a lot. I mean, there've been a lot and and some of them have been on watch lists for on our watch list for years. I mean, Neiman Marcus, J. Crew were all regulars on our watch list and they filed for, for 2020. A lot of the companies that filed in 2020 blaming the pandemic, they had been struggling for, for a long time and, and certainly the store closures didn't help. But. So you're talking a lot about the financial clues, let's say. How does that translate to the sort of catalyst that we're seeing on the ground in retail, do you think in the past, I don't know, 12 months, that's leading up, leading this sort of list to grow again. 2022 started off pretty optimistically and, and it's gotten a lot more volatile. What do you think is going on? No, it's it, it's interesting. In some ways, it's a return. I mean, if you, if you look through the perspective of the, the bankruptcy tracker, in some ways, it's a return to normal because <laughs> we went we went from three companies on our watch list last year that had Frisk scores of of one or two to eighteen this year, and just that jump kind of shows you that there a lot has happened in in the market. But it's much closer to numbers that we had seen in like twenty eighteen. Well, 2019 was a wild year because, as I said, we we went into the we went into 2020 with nearly 30 companies on our watch list. But past watch lists were, you know, 10 companies, 12 companies. It's more in line with with what we've seen since I've been here. But I've been in here in a period. I, my entire time at Retail Dive has been a period of of turmoil and transition because because it, it started in 2017 when it was just it was just a wave of of bankruptcies. And so I think it's I think it's interesting to look at the watch list because you know it's only a you know certain segment of the retail industry their struggles are are so deep and their their you know room for error is so thin that they might actually file for for bankruptcy. The, I mean, there's a lot of retailers, so it's still a, a strong minority. But just looking at how that group fluctuates over time kind of tells stories in the industry. And when you when you look at the actual companies, the struggles that they're facing are the struggles that everybody is facing. They are seeing consumers pull back from discretionary spending as consumers deal with high gas, high food, high rent prices, high housing prices. They are over inventoried, very likely, and are having to mark down stuff to to get it out of, you know, get it off the, get it out of their warehouses or get it off the sales floor, or they're holding it, in which case they're racking up costs for that. So they're losing margin, um, their sales are going down, and all, all of the, the freight issues from last year are getting better, but costs are still kind of high. Everyone's margins are squeezed. If you're Nike, you're going to get through it. If you're Walmart, you're Target, you're going to get through it. But if you have 
a billion, two billion dollars of debt, or you know, your leverage is you know eight x or whatever, you're at much more risk. The volatility we're going through right now could be enough to to force you into a restructuring or or worse. It's true. I mean, one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that inflation works on the supplier side and the retail side too, not just on the consumer side. The other thing about some of the fulfillment and supply chain costs is I feel like I'm seeing a lot of pure play e-commerce companies on this list, Farfetch, Wayfair, Stitch Fix, ThreadUp. I don't know if you have any thoughts on, I'm not sure that my reporting makes it clear whether those costs of e-commerce are just have risen so much. They have problems of returns. If anyone's offering free returns, that's gotten more expensive along with the original shipping. And just some of the customer acquisition costs that now are so much easier for any retailer that has stores, pure play e-commerce companies don't. Any sense of what's going on financially with some of the e-commerce companies? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's really interesting. I mean, it's always been kind of interesting. The e-commerce companies tend to kind of defy gravity, <laughs> like a lot, like just like they they get treated from the startup and venture capital phase on through being publicly traded. They get treated very differently than than a tr- traditional retailer. And yeah, as you pointed out, we we had several companies that were sort of digital darlings on our list. Wayfair, which which has made an appearance in the past as well as Farfetch, Stitch Fix, Real Real, maybe one or two others that I'm forgetting. Now, now part of that is that they're publicly traded now. They're IPO'd so that they're, you know, the Frisk scores cover them where they might not have in the past. But also a lot of these companies, their financials probably would have had them on this list, you know, a long time ago because their losses are so great and the various metrics and ratios that uh, a lot of these sort of risk ratings look at, they don't come out very, <laughs> well, you know, and they, that's, they don't come very out looking very good when, when you run them through that ringer. I was going to say, we did a story on, you know, unicorns. Remember that word? We don't really talk about unicorns as much anymore. Oh, yeah. um, you know, companies that meet or surpass a valuation of a billion dollars. And it seems like a lot of pure play e-commerce companies that go through an IPO kind of see their shares tank. Either they have to lower their IPO expectations pretty close to day of, or they don't do as well once everyone can see what exactly is going on over there. And I guess that probably affects their ability to, you know, not just attract investors, but I mean, does it affect their other financial capabilities like refinancing debt, things like that? No, it's it's a good question. You know, and, and with a lot of these companies, even now, when the stock market is down and these companies are less favored than they were by investors than they were last year, the stock value is still pretty high. And you all, you kind of have that in your back pocket. You could do another stock issue and raise capital that way. And I think your I think your lenders would probably factor that in. And and it depends on what kind of what kind of loans and, and lending you're doing. If you have an, an asset based loan, if you're an e-commerce retailer with an asset based loan, they'll keep giving you money. Um, and we, we we've looked at that in the past. I've written a lot about asset 
asset-based lending in the past and they they come out whole <laughs> it doesn't matter what happens you can go you can go bankrupt you can liquidate they're going to come out that those loans are so secure because they're, they're secured on your inventory and you don't lend beyond a certain fracture of what you estimate they're you'll make back if they have to liquidate from from selling all their inventory other lenders take more chances uh, and there's you know there's always unsecured loans and stuff like that so there's a lot of different factors in what they can do to to raise capital and and as long as their market cap is high they always kind of have it in their back pocket that maybe they can raise more money from from investors and i think that's how a lot of these companies stay afloat where if it was a brick and mortar retailer and their stock was valued at one or two or three dollars even though their financials look exactly the same as <laughs> like a as a real real or whatever those companies they just run into a wall which is also very intriguing because I think a lot of the DTC companies and the pure play e-commerce companies really tout their tech. They come out of Silicon Valley, their investment, their initial investment rounds came out of Silicon Valley. I'm not sure that they necessarily have more or better technology than someone like Walmart or Target that has also made really massive tech investments and actually use tech really in interesting ways and probably very effectively. So it's interesting what we think of as a tech company when actually maybe they're just as vulnerable to all the challenges that any retailer is going to be facing. Yeah, it, it can be hard to know sitting on the outside. But I mean, with, with a lot of the e-commerce companies, I mean, their value is based on a bet a bet about what that company can do in the future once it grows to to a certain point. Wayfair has been unprofitable its entire life, except for one year in 2020. Yeah, I mean, right. When everyone was setting up their home office for the I, pandemic. I mean, something like a decade of of losses. And they're still chugging along they're they as i said they've they've they're on our watch list this year and they they've appeared in in years past you know they they did make a profit in 2020 but with a razor sharp operating margin but people still bet on them i mean their stock stock is not what it was at all in 2020 but people still bet on them and if you look at their market cap it's still a lot higher than a lot of traditional retailers that have much better financials that have a history of profitability Really interesting. Another story I, I'm seeing from your story is that apparel is just always going to be a challenging area of retail. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and you you could do a much better job of explaining why, because I mean, you've been writing about apparel struggles forever, and it's the same. I mean, it's the same struggles for the for the most part. I mean, I think today this year might have some unique aspects but yeah a barrel is just always kind of a mess and and there's so many of them and some are strong and a lot aren't well and the thing about apparel is that in a good year which last year and part of this year was probably a good year it wasn't i don't know that it was a full year but at a good time apparel is tough because people's tastes change and you know during the pandemic people didn't even really need new clothes so when they suddenly did, because their weddings are getting rescheduled and their birthday parties are getting rescheduled and they're going out to dinner and they're going back to work in the office, people needed new clothes. They wanted new clothes. I think the mood had changed once vaccines were available and stuff. 
you know, I don't know if retailers thought they had it made. I think we always knew that was going to be temporary because you refresh your closet. You're not going to need a big, huge refresh like that for a while. But then the the whole effect that inflation has had on discretionary spending means that next new dress or do I need a new another pair of new jeans? That question is going to be asked because people, you know, they just don't have as much money in the bank because they're putting it into their gas tank or their grocery bill, stuff like that. So apparel is just another place where it's hard to figure out when all the stars are lined and the stars got really wonky in the past, I don't know, nine months or something. Yeah. And, and this year, they're right back in the situation they were in, in 2019 and 2018 and years before where they just have too much inventory and losing a lot of their margins after after a lot of them last year were like we figured it out <laughs> we know how to sell, we know how to sell at full price now but but it turns out that they were maybe helped along by some of the supply chain issues as much as they had to uh as much as they're hurt by those freight costs well and it's leading to some quirky solutions which includes on the part of some retailers packing and holding this is something that has come up on earnings calls and i wonder how excited is a consumer going to be who's already possibly wary of spending money on something they don't really need? How enticing is last year's merchandise going to be for that consumer? The only thing I can think is maybe if you have it for a lot, if the Marktown is big enough, maybe you could get, you could make the sale, but it's, I don't know. It's tough because Maybe you can afford to mark down that inventory because it's a year old, but at the same time, it's not exactly the flashiest way to get the attention of a consumer that's very willing to look away, you know? Yeah, and I think it only works on your your apparel basics. What that is, <laughs> even, even a basic, even the fashion of basics might change by the time that they uh, they get that merchandise into stores. So we're at October. Does this feel like, as you said, we're, we're getting back to a place where the likelihood of bankruptcy is actually deceptively normal? Or does it feel like, you know, shaky ground? You know, it, it's honestly hard to say. I would have expected more filings this year, even than, than what we've seen since things have been a little rocky since uh, since Q2. A lot of the recession forecasts are, are for next year. So things could get even more painful next year for, for retailers. And, and maybe that's when we see some of these companies file. I think it partly depends on how bad and how long the recession is. Because it, there does seem to be a bit of robustness, both in the markets and in consumers. So yeah, I'd, I I I I think we'll see more next year, regardless than what we've seen this year. But that's just based on how few have filed. I mean, we've seen Revlon file and uh, Olympia Sports file, and those were two that did mention supply chain issues. And Revlon, which is more more of a brand than a retailer, Revlon was. In, was suffering in part because it was just losing it, it was losing out on supply to competitors 
and it could not bring in enough ingredients to, to make its products. And it was worried about getting its product on the shelves in time for the holiday season and worried about losing shelf space at retailer, big retailers next year because they didn't have the supply this year. But we, we expected more filings due to supply chain issues this year because of what was going on last year. And that didn't happen. So I don't know what to expect <laughs> expect next year. We, we put together the watch list, but I really, I, I really never feel like I have a handle on, on what's going to happen. Not, not, not these years of the pandemic, because it's, it's been just so wild and so hard to predict. The other thing that's hard to predict, and I have a feeling it's more important for some of these retailers on your, in your story than others is the holiday season. And I cannot tell from the reports we're getting, the people I'm talking to, I cannot really tell what this year is going to be like in the fourth quarter. So yeah. No one knows. Nobody knows. (laughs) Well, that's a good place to leave it. Actually, everybody definitely check out Ben's story, 18 retailers at risk of bankruptcy as consumers tighten their wallets in 2022 and follow our coverage at retail dive for this and many other topics. This episode of The Backroom was produced and edited by Caroline Jansen. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.